Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek, 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Yeah. Chapter 2. Kyle Corro could not relax on the airplane. Although he sat in the first class section of the Boeing aircraft in a comfortable leather seat, and though the seat beside him was vacant, ensuring abundant elbow room. Since he had boarded the plane at Charles de Gaulle in Paris, he had been fidgeting. He tried to read the book he had brought along, a Mississippi travel log, but he could not focus on it for any longer than a few minutes. Attempting to read the airline magazine and the Wall Street Journal brought the same disappointing result. When he slipped on headphones and switched on the portable CD player to listen to one of Rachmaninoff's peerless piano concertos, music which normally turned his thoughts away from his troubles. The notes drew his nerves as taut as piano wire. He drummed his long fingers against the armrests. He understood the source of his unease, of course. He could not tolerate sacrificing control of his safety. The fact that he had placed responsibility for his welfare in the hands of a human, the pilot, tortured him. Humans were fallible and accident-prone. Airline crashes were not common, but they happened with enough frequency for this transcontinental voyage to thoroughly unsettle him. He's he's not alone. Like me personally, like flying, I need to be sleep. I do. I'm a I'm a I'm a tell y'all. Um, one of the reasons why I hate Ohio so much is everything. But the other reason is because when I was flying out of Ohio, uh, back to Washington D.C. Uh, for a family visit because we flew, I flew from California to DC and then I was going to fly to Ohio. And so I was flying from DC to Ohio. Um, and as we were going to Ohio, it got snowy right around Ohio area or something like that. And it was like a, a, a twin prop plane. Like it was a little plane. And so Ice got on the wings. And I remember they got out before the plane took off and they were scraping ice off the wings and all that kind of stuff or whatever. Um, and they... Jesus. We got up in the air and everything was fine. And the plane was small enough that I was sitting in the very front. There was only like six people on the plane. Um, and it was landing in this little rinky-dink town uh because we flew into Columbus and then we took this rinky dink um, plane from Columbus to the town that I was in. Um, and as we got up in the air, 
ice got on the wings again and I was sitting in the front of the plane because there was a, this little plane. I could see the front and the back of the plane at the same time. And I don't know why the captains had the front passenger or the, the pilot door open, the captain's door open. I guess they wanted us to feel the whole experience, but part of the experience, if we're going to feel that experience, shouldn't be hearing one of the captains tell the other captain, oh shit. As the plane completely plummeted out of the sky. We dropped about, it felt like 5,000 feet. And we were 8,000 feet up. Like it felt like we plummeted. And I felt every moment of it. And I was crying and I was pleading to God. And the things came out of the ceiling. The airbag things and all that kind of stuff. And I just knew I was going to die. And they leveled it out. And they had some more turbulence, but they stayed low for the rest of the flight and they landed. And when I got out, I literally kissed the dirty, filthy, nasty Ohio ground. I was so happy to be off that stupid ass plane. And I have hated flying since. So I need to stay up for like two nights straight. It's not even overnight. I need to stay up all day, all night, and then all day. And then we fly that next night so I can be sleep that whole flight. It used to be I had to get drunk, but I don't like feeling drunk. I don't like getting drunk in front of people. I don't want to see that control over to other people of my faculties and my words. Um, so now I need to be sleep. And so I feel what Kyle is saying. Whew. Fuck Ohio. You thought I was going to say fuck flying, but I got to do that. That's a necessity. It's Ohio's fault. A window was beside him. And he'd pulled down the plastic shutter, shutting out his view of the clouds. He did not ordinarily fear heights, but looking through the portal made it frightfully easy to imagine a fatal plummet to the earth. The flight attendant, a striking blonde woman, strolled along the aisles, checking on passengers. She smiled at him and asked, for perhaps a third time, whether he required anything else to enhance his flight experience. He smiled briefly and responded that he was fine. He had not eaten anything and had only drunk water, and had asked her for nothing. She continually approached him, he suspected, because she believed him to be a celebrity. His clothing might partly explain her intrigue. His entire wardrobe was black. Boots, slacks, shirt, leather jacket, and hat. He wore tight black leather gloves and aviator sunglasses, too. His skin was a rich chocolate brown and he was tall, about six feet five, with the build of a track runner. Draped in his elegant ebony garments, he cut an impressive figure. The flight attendant likely thought he was a professional athlete, perhaps a famous basketball player seeking to avoid attention, or maybe a famed fashion model. He routinely encountered similar assumptions whenever he swam through the pool of humanity during daylight hours. In actuality, his heavy, dark clothing was a matter of necessity. Vampires did not endure sunlight well. Sun rays did not affect vampires as dramatically as the popular media portrayed. He wouldn't catch fire or melt as though he was made of wax. But exposure to ultraviolet light causes skin to itch terribly. According to Mother, a vampire who habitually courted daylight would accelerate the aging process too. Needless to say, vampires only ventured outdoors during the day when it was essential. His journey to the United States was essential. 
He had been waiting for this trip for his entire life, 168 years. He shifted in his seat. They had been airborne for only 30 minutes. He had at least 11 more hours in the sky and a connecting flight ahead of him. An eternity. This was not his first airline trip. Throughout the past few decades, he had traveled the globe via air. But he had taken his previous journeys on Mother's private jet, piloted by an especially gifted human agent. He regretted that he had refused Mother's offer of taking the family aircraft to the United States. Now, he paid for his arrogant refusal with extreme discomfort. His black leather bag lay on the seat beside him. He unzipped the top compartment and retrieved a cool aluminum packet. The silver vacuum-sealed packet contained 16 ounces of human blood, though no one watching could discern the precious fluids contained therein. When enjoying a meal in the company of humans, discretion was vital. He and Mother procured all of the blood they required from blood banks, as did many vampires these days. He had not fed on a living creature in ages. Mother, ever concerned about risk and attracting dangerous attention, had insisted that they learn to sustain themselves through safe, non-violent means. The emergence of blood banks was a boon for vampires. The wealthy ones had forged confidential arrangements with the small, trusted network of blood banks throughout the world. There was no need to ever hunt for food again. Indeed, hunting human prey seemed primitive to him, an activity pursued only by uncivilized vampires, or those who were poor and had no alternative. The few prosperous vampires who chose to hunt did so for sport, under carefully controlled conditions, the vampire equivalent of game preserves. Kyle removed the black straw from the back of the carton. It took three stabs at the perforated hole for him to puncture the surface and slide the straw inside. He restrained himself from sucking dry the entire packet in a greedy gulp. He had fed only a few hours ago and was not genuinely hungry. He sipped only to soothe his nerves. The cool, thick blood flowed over his tongue. Delicious. He leaned back in the seat, sighed. A pleasurable warmth spread through his body. The blonde flight attendant appeared at his shoulder and asked if he would like a pillow. He accepted her offer. Smiling flirtatiously, she asked him to bend his head forward. She slipped the pillow behind him and gently pushed him back against the cushion. Let me know if you need anything else, sir. Her fingers brushed against his shoulder. Her tongue flickered briefly between her glossy red lips. He smiled. Thank you. I certainly will. He watched her walk away, her tight hips undulating under her skirt. He loved human women, and they invariably found him irresistibly attractive. Some of the fictions about vampires were true. Vampires were considered to be sexy. His head resting against the pillow, Kyle closed his eyes. For the first time since he boarded the airplane, his thoughts unwound and his muscles relaxed. Not surprisingly, his mind drifted and he thought about his last encounter with Mother. Silvery beads of afternoon rain streamed down the tinted parlor window as Kyle gazed outside at the green hills of their country estate. Behind him, Mother said, I do not approve of this trip. I understand why you wish to leave, but I do not approve. Kyle turned. Mother reclined on a chaise lounge, frowning. Even in her distress, she was indescribably beautiful. 
Her skin was dark and flawless. Her lustrous, midnight black hair cascaded to her shoulders. Six feet tall, she possessed a lean, exquisitely proportioned figure. She was dressed in a silky lavender wrap and matching shoes. Mother's true name was Leisha, but amongst humans, she used many aliases to maintain her privacy. To a human, at first glance, she would appear to be no older than 40. In truth, Mother was the oldest living vampire in the world, and the original mother of their race. Her true age was a mystery, even to Kyle. One look into her eyes confirmed that she was far older than she appeared to be. Almond-shaped, obsidian, and gleaming, her eyes reflected a depth of knowledge and wisdom that few living beings would ever attain. She had mesmerized countless creatures with her compelling gaze, including him. Meeting her eyes and voicing his decision to disobey her wishes was one of the most difficult steps Kyle had ever taken. Perspiration coated his face. Mother, I must go. When you told me the truth, you foresaw what I would decide to do, didn't you? You should not be surprised. A month ago, Kyle had resolved to leave his mother's French estate and establish a home of his own in another region, perhaps in Western Africa. His resolution was born of a restlessness that had plagued him for years. Like a child, he had spent his life under the protective arm of his mother. And though he lived in luxury and absorbed her endless store of knowledge about vampires and mankind, he yearned to break away, to live his own life. Mother had known that he would want to leave one day, and she was not startled. But what startled him was when she told him the truth of his father. Before, she had always led him to believe that his father was dead and had died before Kyle was born. She finally revealed that his father was in the United States, entombed in a cave in a rural town in the state of Mississippi, alive, but submerged in a sleep that had so far endured for over a century and a half. His father was alive. Throughout his life, he had wondered about his father, his male co-creator. Although, as Mother tried to explain, most vampires lived happily without full knowledge of both their parents, Kyle did not believe he was like other vampires. His gift, and perhaps his burden, was his capacity to feel emotion. He was not a cold-blooded predator, a heartless creature of the night. He was capable of a vast range of feeling that surely rivaled what any human could experience. He wanted to understand his place in the world. He wanted to be guided and taught by one who could understand him in a way the mother could not. He had yearned for a connection to his father, and had thirsted for knowledge about him, even though Mother had deceived him into believing that his father was dead. And in Mother's opinion, one who was dead was not worth discussion. She had told him little about his own father. Mother had lied to protect him, she claimed. It was only when she realized that he was going to leave her to live his own life that she confessed. He hated her for lying to him, though he understood her intentions in concealing the truth. She knew what he would decide to do once he had learned the truth. She knew. You are correct. I'm not surprised at your intentions, Mother said. I told you the truth at last because I had hoped you would handle the knowledge wisely. I warned you to leave the past alone, my son. Let your father rest 
in peace. You asked the impossible, he said. All my life I've wondered about what he was like. How it would have been to know him. Do you think I could ever rest knowing he's alive? How do you think I feel, she said. He was my companion. I loved him deeply, more than you could ever understand. She closed her eyes for a moment, drew a breath to compose herself. Leaving your father to follow his unfortunate fate was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made. But that was almost 170 years ago, Kyle said. He slammed his fist against the back of a chair, and it creaked under the impact. Mother watched him, patiently enduring his tantrum. But a tall figure swathed in black appeared across the room, at the door. Is everything all right, madam? The vampire said. Kyle hissed. This vampire was his mother's newest companion. He annoyed Kyle, but then virtually all of her companions annoyed him. Kyle had sufficient self-awareness to admit that he was jealous of the attention that Mother lavished on her lovers. Mother and I are having a private discussion, Kyle said. He raised his hand, and the parlor door, propelled by an invisible force, swung shut in the vampire's face. Kyle glimpsed surprise in the creature's eyes before the door slammed. His mother's companion was a new vampire and had yet to learn the extent of a vampire's talents. Mother had calmly watched the brief exchange. Kyle paced across a hardwood floor. As I was about to say, times are different now. The American slave trade has long since ended. There's no civil war. My father could live in peace. Child, those points are irrelevant. Diallo was born and raised as a warrior. When he was taken to the United States as a slave, his taste for violence only grew more intense. If I had not intervened, he would have died at the hands of his slave master. You've told me all of this, but that was so long ago. I'm telling you again because you must listen to me. For Diallo's entire life, as both a man and a vampire... His hunger for violence has been insatiable. After he left me in New Orleans, when I was pregnant with you, he roamed the countryside and murdered hundreds. Not for food, not for vengeance, but because he enjoyed it. She gave him a level gaze. Do you understand me, Kyle? Your father was a monster. A sleep of a thousand years would never diminish the bloodlust that rages in his soul. Kyle stopped pacing and slumped in a chair across from his mother. His hands trembled. I can change him, Kyle said. When he learns that I'm his son, his heart will change. Mother laughed bitterly. Change Diallo? Even I cannot change Diallo. He is more iron-willed than you can fathom. It is fortunate for us that humans imprisoned him. He had awesome potential as a vampire. If he had been allowed to cause mayhem much longer, he would have tapped the range of his gifts, and in the end, brought destruction on us all. Kyle could not bear to look at her. She was so keenly perceptive, and he hated it. She had lived so long and learned so much about the past that life followed that she could predict what would happen long before such events came to pass. Life is a Byzantine labyrinth, she had told him once.
But after you've lived as long as I have, you no longer dwell in a maze. You hover above it, and regarding it below you, can discern each twist and turn far in advance. Mother reached across the distance that separated them and put her hand on his arm. Her long, slender fingers were warm. Let your father sleep, Kyle. It is better for all of us for you to let him be. He's at peace. He shrugged off her hand. I can't, he said. I have to know him and see him. I have to. She folded her arms across his chest. You are too human, just as he was. Excuse me? She spat out the words. Stubborn, short-sighted, emotional. Too much like a human. It was your father's undoing. Unfortunately, it may be yours as well. Mother, I don't wish to offend you, but you don't know everything. Her eyes were not angry, only melancholy. If you pursue this endeavor, I cannot assist you or intervene. You could take our aircraft, but that is all the assistance I will offer. I'm not taking our airplane, he said. I will get myself there. Mamu and I will do everything. I don't need you. Mother flinched as if slapped, and he felt sorry for what he had said. Then, his regret faded. He wasn't sorry. Not really. He was tired of her dictating his life, offering her sage advice about everything. He wanted to choose his own course of action, and if it proved to be wrong, then that was his burden to bear, and he would learn from the experience. He realized one reason why he wanted to leave mother and seek out his father. Living with an ancient being like her robbed him of experiencing the peaks and valleys that were a part of life. Life with mother was smooth, predictable, safe. She lived in a heavily fortified compound, her every need provided for, her global network of connections ensuring her prosperity, her wisdom shielding her from making mistakes that would cause dangerous conflict. Life with her was, in a word, boring. But as he thought about his unknown father, the mighty vampire whom Mother had failed to tame, his heart throbbed with excitement. You seek to be free of me, Mother said. You desire to learn on your own, to taste trial and error. I know your heart, my son. Then you know you can't change my mind. I'm going to do this without your help. She nodded slowly. He rose and kissed her cheek. I'm leaving in the morning, he said. Goodbye, mother. A tear coursed down her face. It gave him pause. He could not recall the last time he had seen her cry. You've been a wonderful son, she said. I've had many sons, but I've loved you the most, Kyle. Please remember that, always. He took her hand in his and squeezed it. You talk as if I'm going to my death. I'll come to visit on occasion. You'll see me again. Mother did not reply immediately, and as he walked out of the chamber, he heard her words which she spoke in a whisper. No, I never will. After an hour and a half in the air, the airplane touched down in Amsterdam. Kyle was grateful for the opportunity to stretch his legs. He sipped another packet of blood before getting on the next aircraft, 
which carried him on a tedious 10-hour voyage to Memphis, Tennessee. It was late evening when he finally met Mama Walde, or Mamu, his preferred nickname, his personal agent at the terminal gate. How was the flight, sir? Mamu asked in French. He took Kyle's bag and carried it over its broad shoulder. Kyle responded in English, a subtle signal that they will not speak French here. Absolutely awful. I'll never fly commercially again. We will charter a private jet when we depart. We could discuss the details later. It was Friday, August 23rd. The terminal was only sparely populated. They did not need to wait a baggage claim. Kyle had sent all of his necessary clothes and items in advance. They walked out of the airport. It's humid here, Kyle said. He felt as though he had wandered into a suffocating cloud of heat. He had read about the summer climate in the American South, but experiencing it firsthand was a different matter altogether. He slid off his gloves, unbuttoned his jacket. It is warm indeed, Mamu said. He was attired in navy blue slacks, a tailored white shirt, a somber Italian tie, and polished black wingtips. Mamu dressed for his work as an agent with the same attention to detail as an executive laboring in a corporation. Kyle believed Mamu would have been wearing his suit jacket if not for the stifling humidity. Mamu led the way to the parking lot. He was a stout man in his thirties, bald-headed and clean-shaven. Born in Paris, of African lineage, he was a member of a family that had been quietly serving as agents to vampires for generations. Mamu and his sister had been in the employ of Kyle and his mother since they were teenagers. Before them, his parents had served in the family. The relationship between a vampire and his agent was one of the most important relationships a vampire could establish. An agent could handle matters during daylight hours. Business transactions, errands, and the endless miscellaneous details of daily living. Traditionally, an agent was assigned to a single vampire for much of the agent's life, from adolescence through late middle age. For their devotion to the care of vampires, agents were rewarded with comfortable, prosperous lives, and more compelling, the opportunity to learn ancient secrets to which few humans throughout history have ever been privy. On rare occasion, a vampire decided to take an agent as a companion and made them a vampire. But the practice was frowned upon because it disrupted the balance between vampires and the available pool of agents. If all vampires took their agents as companions, they would have to acquire new agents, and it required years to select and train a capable agent. Agents volunteer for the role with the understanding that they would never become vampires. Kyle trusted Mamu implicitly, in a way that he would never dare to trust another human. He had told Mamu of his plan to find his father before he had told mother about his mission. Mamu enthusiastically supported him, though it did not matter whether he agreed with Kyle's wishes or not. An agent was sworn to obey a vampire's commands. Still, Kyle was relieved to have Mamu's earnest assistance. He regarded the man as a friend, not an obsequious servant. In the parking lot, Mamu headed towards a silver Lexus sports utility vehicle. Excellent taste, Kyle said. Of course, I would expect nothing less from you, my friend. Mamu smiled. He placed Kyle's bag in the vehicle's cargo area. 
They settled inside the cabin. How far are we from the town, Kyle said. Approximately 40 minutes, Mamu said in his precise English. Although, after being conscious throughout the day, Kyle needed to sleep. He was too excited to doze. He was going to find his father. Butterflies fluttered in his stomach. What do you think of the town, Kyle said. Mason's Corner. Mamu shrugged, his dark eyes scanning the highway. It is not much of a town. Small, rural, working class. We'll be wise to maintain a low profile. The residents appear to pay undue attention to strangers. I see. Any incidents? When I was in a hardware store acquiring supplies, the clerk, an elderly man, asked me where I lived, and I indicated the estate that we were renting. He regarded me as if I were insane. The Mason place, he said. It's haunted, man. Don't you know that? Haunted. Hmm. What do you think of that? Kyle watched his friend closely. Mamu's fingers tightened on the steering wheel. Mamu, though he had lived around vampires for his entire life, was deeply superstitious and frightened of the world of the unseen. Monsieur, you know me well. I am not one who is easily disturbed, yet I have found it difficult to sleep in that house. Because you believe it to be haunted? I do not know. It is beyond my ability to investigate. Perhaps you'll be able to discover why. I'll check it out when we arrive, Kyle said. He did not doubt that the mansion was haunted. He had seen tormented, restless spirits before. They did not particularly interest or trouble him. What harm could a ghost cause to an immortal being? But Mahmoud was only a man. Kyle patted his friend's shoulder. Do not fear, my friend. Besides, the residents' belief that the house is haunted could benefit us. The people will leave us alone and allow us to perform our work undisturbed. That is an excellent point, Monsieur. I had not considered it. Kyle smiled. Can we have some traveling music? Mamu found a contemporary jazz radio station on the stereo. The lulling voice of a saxophone hummed from the speakers. Kyle reclined in the seat and looked out the glass, watching the wooded countryside race past. A fat, pale moon cast milky light on the land. Kyle sensed the creatures of the night roving through a thick forest. Predator and prey, engaged in their ageless game. Father, I'm coming to free you, Kyle thought. When he regarded the deep night, it was easy to believe that his father would receive his telepathic message. Your son has arrived, and I will save you, from yourself if I must. The Lexus shot like a silver bullet through the darkness. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Um, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast and on goodpods.com. Um, each of the donations will help me buy new books and movies for hindsight. Uh, you can leave a review for the show at podchaser.com. Then you can copy that review and paste it in the Apple Podcasts. Then you can copy that review and paste it in the Good Pods. 
Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I really do enjoy this book. Y'all are in for a good time. Um, as you can see, each chapter will probably take an episode. But again, thank you all for listening. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.